Welcome to What If But Good, a podcast about writing badly until you can write well. I'm your host, Peter Lundquist. I'm your host that laughs too loud, Evan Pugh. And I'm your taller host, Silas Robinson. Each season, the three of us go through the daunting task of attempting to write feature-length screenplays from scratch in just 16 weeks. Will we succeed? Will we fail? Will we give up writing and start an addiction we can't afford? There is only one way to find out. Listen in each week as we battle our writing demons, each other, and the sound of a buzzing refrigerator on... What What if if but but good? If you'd like to follow along with our rushed, unfinished pages each week, check us out at whatifbutgood.com and on all socials as whatifbutgood. We're a barbershop triplet. Yep. Tri- uh, it's a trio. Trio. There we go. Well, not if we're all brothers on the same day. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good. Good work this week, everybody. We did more pages this time. Well, two of us did. Uh, you wrote. A, actually, I, I'm not sure if it fits onto one page or two, but it's a. Uh, I, I'm just giving you shit. I'm not actually upset. No, that's, that's <laughs> you did very difficult mental work. That's good of you to say. I I fun this week. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm back to I'm back to the writing part where it's all fun and everything's a possibility and you don't have to actually commit to anything. It's great. Nice. Yeah. It's nice fun. Yeah. Um, I was I was this week for writing it, for everybody. For for me, it was actually really productive. Um, except not in terms of pages. Mm. Um, in terms of journaling, I must have written like 30 or 35 pages this week. Yeah, um, just trying to like get back in the flow because the whole entire month of May was just a clusterfuck for me trying mm-hmm. to write or anything. Yeah. And when that happens, it's like you just lose that tether, you know, where you're like you're holding that balloon and you lose the balloon, and you gotta find it again, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of what I spent most of my time was like writing, like writing my way back into that rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the pages kind of came out of that, and then. Um, in, in, in writing it, I realized that I had gone off the rails from the outline, so I had to go back and rewrite the outline as well. Um, so it was a it was a productive week. I feel like I'm I'm like you back on track and kind of like getting more back into my element. But right. well, you got you got 13 pages out of it. So, yeah, you know, yeah. It, was, it was a productive week. Uh, how about you, Peter? How was your week? It was uh, not the easiest week I've had, and probably not the hardest either. Uh, I, I as I mentioned last time. My outline at this point of the script is much more prescriptive than it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it's just like, and then they have some jokes and some laughs and fun. <laughs> and uh, now it's just like, this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen because of this. And uh, so it wasn't like pulling teeth or anything, but it was just like, uh, okay, I'm doing this part of the script where there's almost no jokes, and writing serious work is like challenging for me because it's always tempting to just slip in games <laughs> that, you know, might not fit the tone so but yeah i i probably wrote all of this in like uh, real time like three or four hours max okay uh and i feel like if i can write three or four hours a week then i'm gonna be golden for the rest of the rest of the experiment here nice so uh well evan let's let's start with you welcome welcome back to the podcast hell yeah hope you guys had a good week it was nice um (laughs) it was great without you it was better actually (laughs) Uh, it, this it, is going to be your last one, Evan. Yeah, we, we talked about it, and uh, you're, you're off. You're out, Evan. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, no, uh, we, we missed you very much. <laughs> yeah. We have to have you back. Cool. Um, yeah, so tell us about, uh, tell us about these, these 13 pages. Um, so this is kind of the, the first time that Rebecca, Jordan, and Steve all hang out right. for the first time after reconnecting. 
Um, so it was kind of a big, tough scene to write, and it could have gone in a few different directions. Um, but the, the bottom line was that when I sat down to write it, I knew what was happening, but not any of the details. Okay. And so that, that's where a lot of the journaling went in, was kind of like figuring out what happens and like how to make this interesting and all those kinds of things. And it was either like, this is where Jordan proposes, like he's showing off to Steve, or it's what we have on the page, which is where she finds out that he's been like keeping a death from her for three years. Right. Um, I imagine you did a lot of work in discovering like what was happening in the five years between mm-hmm. college and now. Yeah, and that was kind of the thing too, is just looking back at that gap and kind of like asking where did they go and what happened between the two of them. And, um, so so that, that was probably the biggest, toughest scene to write, and that kind of wound up parlaying into something that was supposed to happen a little later, um, which is the, the um, which is all this stuff with, um, like, they have their fight, and this this whole long night continues to be where, like, Lena has her seizure, and there's that moment of, like, with death thing, and, you know, this is basically <clears throat> right up to the end of the second act, um, and then what's scary is that I have another, like, four or five scenes done in my outline, and then it turns out that my outline ends before the third act starts. Mm. And I'm just like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So, you, gotta, so, you gotta end it. Yeah. Game of Thrones style. And so what's, what's interesting <laughs> is, that, is that what I have is how I would typically end it, which is with a lot of loose threads and um, not, nothing really, no closure of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and I haven't gotten all the way to the last end of it because you have, you have the, the conversation with Rebecca and Jordan and then Lena's seizure, them at the hospital, and then uh, Steve and Rebecca at his place because she doesn't know where to go. She's still, like, fighting with Jordan and doesn't want to see him. Right. Um, and all, and then it's just, like, and then that was supposed to be the end of the movie, but it just, like, everything accelerated and mm-hmm. still have to uh, have him do his job interview and get that job. You still have to, like, have some sort of, have something with Cosmo and Lena where they kind of make amends and realize, figure out where the next step in their relationship is. You have to have finality between Rebecca and Jordan, and you have to have some sort of small thing between Steve and Rebecca right at the end. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of have an idea of what that third act is going to be, but I, I'm off in the woods at this point. Like, I had to rewrite my outline. Right. I'm just like, okay, I, I accept the organic nature of this. No, I, I've certainly been there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's go, cool, man. Well, I, I, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's cool to know that I mean, the, the form of this screenplay is so sort of – you talk about Cassavetes a lot, uh-huh. and that's obviously a big point of uh, reference for you. Um, unlike Peter and I, who have very, like – a very specific goal that is very visible, which is driving everything forward. It's like, it's cool to know that we're, we're coming to the end here. Because, <laughs> like, there's, there's in these 13 pages in particular, the, I feel like the, the pot was boiling uh-huh. pretty pretty hard. Yeah. Um, uh, there's some stuff I really, really like in here. I think you've done good work. I'm, um, I'm, I, these are actually the, the ten, 10 of the pages I've doubted the most, so I'm happy to hear that. I like them too. Hooray! Okay, yeah. Um, in particular, so for those of you listening at home, the, most of these pages are a sort of very, very tense mini-golfing, you know, <laughs> indoor glow-in-the-dark mini-golfing uh, escapade. Uh, and it, it, in, in the end when... Uh, there's a, there are a couple of things that you did with Jordan's character, which I think is really interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like that he's sort of the underdog in the scene in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, Jordan seems the most uncomfortable out of these three characters, yeah. which I thought was an interesting twist. That's certainly not how he's been um, 
portrayed up until this point. Yeah. And hurt people hurt people, man. Yeah, I know. That's it's, where he's at. It's 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 compelling. It's interesting. <laughs> it, it 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 makes me. It's not where I. It's not where I thought he was gonna go. I like that at the beginning of the scene. There's some genuine. Like I get that. I like that he's being sort of self-effacing with his humor. He's yeah. not just you know attacking everybody like he's he's sort of making fun of himself a little bit more mm-hmm. which is again is feels like a new trait and it feels like uh it just it just he, he sort of feels like he's he feels like he's opening up as a character mm-hmm. um and then steve ditching him at the end of the scene i was really into <laughs> yeah. that's so mean yeah like, it's yeah. super mean and uh like it it definitely felt like a big swing on Steve's part to yeah. be like no we're at war like, I want to be absolutely clear yeah. there is no love between us yeah. and it's Jordan season yeah it's, it is Jordan's <laughs> the, the you know yeah. Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny right, but right. I, I, I feel like that's the only real way that scene could have ended yeah. you know because if, if if Steve had sided with Jordan it just wouldn't would not have made sense to me oh yeah because it's like again we haven't seen each other in five fucking years you right. know why, why would I take your side <laughs> Steve when giving you, Jordan you, a ride, like yeah. it, then you have a really awkward scene where you're just like, so how's that uh, that girl that I set you up with that yeah. ended yeah. up breaking my heart? And anyway, we have a lot to talk about, but yeah. now's not the time. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, no, it, it, it. I thought I thought that that turn was great. Um, and uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, Peter. Right. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing about. Um, I was really stunned by the scene where Jordan's, uh, by the bit where Jordan's like, oh yeah, Matt killed himself. And then uh, Rebecca's just like, what? And he's like, oh yeah, I didn't tell you, Matt killed himself. He's like, my ex? Yeah. Like, yeah, killed himself. And it's just like such a huge thing that uh, you can see that it would be a normal conversation topic for Jordan and Steve if it was just the two of them. They're like, man, remember Mac, the guy that Rebecca used to hook up with? Yeah, it's so weird that he died. And, yeah. uh, but when Rebecca's there, it's like, oh, yeah, I never told you because I don't think about you. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah. such an intense thing that I, you know, I didn't see it coming at all. I don't remember it being in your outline, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it really fits with showing what their whole dynamic is. Yeah. That, like, she just wouldn't find that out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and I, what I love about that detail is that feels like a very relatable human thing of, like, it's just, like... Like it's it's amazing how much slips between the cracks, especially after like year like you know the yeah. years are starting to turn into decades. But yeah. like, and I don't know, I just love that. I feel like most human fights are this thing that wasn't important to me was important to you, right? And and I I it's a it's a big fucking reveal when it's yeah. like my ex, like yeah, oh, man. yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> really big. Okay. Tight, tight, tight. Um, one question, and I, yeah. I can't remember if this is my memory or not, but is this my my sense is that this is the first time Steve and Jordan have seen each other. Correct. Okay. So I feel like there's maybe a beat here which is missing, which yeah. is we we have the Cosmo and Steve uh, chat. Yeah. We have the 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 Enable Brothers. Ba, 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 ba. Great scene. I like the changes that you made to it. Yeah. Um, and then we cut to the mini golf uh, in prog- like night in progress. Right. And we don't get the moment 
when Steve and Jordan lock eyes with each other for the first oh, time in okay. five years. You've changed, bro. Like that look where it's like, oh shit, you you gained some weight, you got a beard, like yeah. you're not who I thought you would be. We don't even need dialogue in that scene. Yeah. Like, it could just be literally like Steve walks into the mini golf course and he looks up and he sees Jordan and they make eye contact and... and they, they react to each other. Yeah. And we as the audience get to see, like, are they going to try and be cordial about this or are they going to be openly hostile? Yeah. And then the answer is, like, at first the first one and right. then the second yeah. one. Um, I would say if you do include dialogue in that, mm-hmm. make, make the text and the subtext very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe they see each other and it's just like, oh, uh, hi, uh, so is this where we get the clubs? Or did you bring a scorekeeping thing? Just like talk yeah, about yeah. whatever is the minutia of mm. the, the interaction they're in currently, rather than mm-hmm. what's transpired between them over the years. Yeah, because I mean, we really like in a weird way. This is the moment when uh, Peter, whatever his name is, like finally sees the shark in Jaws. Like, <laughs> like this. We have been building to a confrontation between these two guys for literally the entire screenplay, and this is the moment when it happens, and it's like. Give me, give me that moment when they see each other. <laughs> it's, it's, me, it's, yeah. it's, the, this note though seems consistent with me just starting scenes too late. Like I, I feel like I've done that a few times now, and it just like needs to go one beat back and. Well, it's you know it's a good it's a better habit to be in to uh-huh. be starting scenes too late than to be starting them too early. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, a lot of writers struggle with that where they just are like, "Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good, thank you. Well, let me tell, let me tell you about this. Oh, really? Okay. And then the conflict. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you just. You cut to the chase, but uh, the the only issue is when you're leaving out information that the audience would really want to see, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you've been doing a good job fixing it pretty yeah. much every time. Okay. But, yeah. uh, like in the, the, the Lena-Rebecca scene earlier, you added some stuff to the top of that. Yeah. That I think uh, really serves the scene well. Um, yeah, I was just thinking kind of on a more general note. Um, if if someone reads the screenplay or sees this movie or whatever in months or years after we've recorded this and then they go back and listen to this, they'll be like, he didn't know, what? He <laughs> didn't know where that was going to go? And they'll just, what I'm saying is that you'll find a, a, a satisfactory organic yeah, yeah. to all these things. Yeah. And it'll surprise you, but it'll it'll make sense to everyone reading it. Right. You know, or seeing it or whatever. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. So don't worry too much about it for now. That's okay. what I'm saying. Just like see where see where it takes you. Make sure you outline first and then uh-huh. write it down. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah good work, man. Cool. These are, these are some of my favorite pages you've done. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I feel like I feel like I'm uh, ratcheting out the tension correctly. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's not just like flatlining where it's. Yeah. It's okay. it's certainly building. Okay. Um, it's a Hitchcock thing, you know. A bomb in the brisket is better than two in the. Bush under the table <laughs> is, I think, what he said. Um, oh, you bit a mustard in it, and I think it was Alfred Hitchcock who said, "Oi!" <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, um, Peter. All right, Peter. Yeah, here we go. Uh, end of Act Two, baby. Yeah, I got all the way to the end of it. Um, there's maybe one more scene that's like the break into three that I didn't include because I felt like I had enough pages already. Because mm-hmm. um, I've got 11 pages on, on this and it's all new stuff. There's nothing rewritten. And um, the only scene that I didn't write is the one where it's the, the next morning after all the climax basically has happened or the back two climax has happened. 
which is Greg waking up, meeting with the goddess in some way, and then going out and trying to get Sandy again. Right. Um, so what I do have, uh, as I said, it was not the easiest thing to write because uh, there's not a lot of jokes in it. Yeah. And that makes me feel uncomfortable when I'm just writing uh, psychotic characters like being psychotic controlling people and doing awful shit it's like well, it's supposed to be a comedy but <laughs> but you know it's it, there's always a villain in a rom-com and this is the section of the screenplay where he like rampages through everything before uh, the, there's a, a comeback for our heroes uh, so yeah it was it was weird to write emotionally more than it was like you know the actual physical writing process yeah mm-hmm. but uh, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think um I really, really like the end of it. Uh, the The act two break felt super, super hard. Draw a line in the sand and clear. the The moment, like the the beat where Greg and Sammy say goodbye, is great. Yeah. Um. It feels like it feels genuinely very sad. Um. Uh. Especially the line where Greg says next. I will get him next time. Yeah. That's that's a real bummer of a oh, of a line. Yeah. Just gotta break their hearts in little pieces before they can mend again, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, Sammy coming back into the bunker is great. The the moment where Miguel dies. Is, <laughs> I was just is about to say awesome. that. Awesome. Every, everything you've done with the Miguel character has been has been real good. And this is a great mm. payoff that it's like, even even after his symbiote, you can see he's still like a good guy who just has too much heart, you know? Yeah. Well, and the, 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 the thing which I got from the Miguel storyline is that. He's here, sort of the the. I mean, Miguel is your your B story guy yeah. for for uh, Greg, and he's been sort of there to uh, test to see if Greg can improve himself without a symbiote. And the minute Miguel's symbiote goes away, he like does something incredibly stupid and dies, which yeah. is like <laughs> it's, it's a it's a it's a tough it's a tough pill to swallow for Greg. Um, I'm I'm assuming he's going to learn that he can improve himself but yeah. but i think it's interesting for miguel to spend the first half of the screenplay being this kind of inspirational like uh place to get to of like you can get your shit together i believe in you i'm gonna push you i'm gonna support you and then at the right at the end for him to become like a cautionary tale like, yeah. yeah like i feel like miguel sort of almost becomes a metaphor for what could happen to greg if he doesn't get his shit together which is he'll do some really stupid shit and get killed, <laughs> <laughs> get in his own way, and uh, also this, this the scene of Miguel dying is extremely funny in a really I can really. I do anything. <laughs> <Splat>. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> um, uh, so I thought that was great. Um, you were nervous about just sort of the lack of jokes, and I I feel like in, in the in the first half of this at least, and I feel like your. I've been on Team Aaron from the beginning, but I feel like your saving grace here is that Aaron is such a different brand of humor than we've gotten up until this point, point. Uh, and he's extremely funny, and you kind of are letting him tell most of the jokes throughout some of these pages, and I, I think that that's great. Like, I, I think you can, if you, since Aaron is kind of winning right now, if you let him be really self-satisfied and funny, the other characters can be more reactionary and horrified and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have some some questions and thoughts, but before I get into that, I wanted to turn it over to Evan. Yeah. Um, in terms of the humor or lack thereof. Um, Ouch. Okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, it's kind I of said it, I yeah. Said it, so. um, 
nothing nothing feels like tonally out of place like there's still there's still the giggles you know and and Silas is right it's mostly from Aaron and and the fact and like I don't know if he meant this but Miguel's death to me played like a really funny moment yeah like it, it did to me as well yeah um and so I, I feel like everything is, is still in place but you're you're able to still ratchet up that tension and keep things interesting um your your action scene that you did was really good um it was very clear um, the, the scene where all the, the, the Olivia, Olivia. yeah, yeah. Okay. That was that was a good one. I, I thought it was funny because it's <laughs> like like most of the action scene is the characters sort of parsing out who's the strongest, which I, I found <laughs> very yeah. funny. Uh, but one thing I guess was I was still confused about was Sammy's motivation for giving up. Um, did you listen to last week's episode? I mean, I read last week's pages. We we we, we talked about Sammy's motivation for giving up quite a oh, yeah. quite a bit. Um, yeah. And there's there's going to be some stuff I'll have to change in the previous pages to make this make more sense. And uh, but standing alone, I can see how it definitely is like she's ping ponging all over the place. What's going on here? No, I I feel like she she's kind of been on this crusade, like a losing crusade the whole time, um, and it just finally reached a point where she realized there's not much she can do to fight this anymore. Um, mm. And and also the fact that it's like I like the I like the conflict where it's like what she originally wanted and intended is happening, but it can't go down this way. Yeah. And so it's just kind of, I, I liked that. Um, but it was good. And uh, it's, it's a nice little moment when she, when she turns the timer on, it's like one year, and you're like, wait, what's going to happen? It's cool. Um, it's, it's a very, very subtle change in her character. Yeah. And it could say a lot of things. It could, because I, I mean, just the fact that it was five the first time and now it's one is... That tells us that she has a little bit more hope for humanity yeah. than she did before. It also tells us that, like, maybe she's worried that she just won't be able to make it five years again. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's a it's a really nice little change, and it, it's one of those great details that tells a lot of story with very very little, uh, just it, talky, it like, yeah, walkie talkie stuff. It's it's just it's just one very clean little action that tells us a lot about where mm-hmm. she's at. One other thing that I don't, I want to see if you guys got mm-hmm. um, is she's getting older. Her plan originally was she was she was like you know probably in her twenties early thirties, and her plan originally was I'm gonna steal myself away for five years, come out and repopulate the world. Now that she's five years older, she has less time to do that. Right. Right. So that's just another thing that I wanted yeah. to see if, yeah, if it made sense. Uh, I I did not pick up on that, but I I'm sure other people reading this would. Uh-huh. Um, so you know we last week we talked about Sammy's motivation, um, and I I know that that's something which you're going to clean up in, in the second draft and, and kind of iron out some of those wrinkles. Um, it's in post. <laughs> I feel like this first scene where Aaron has Sammy and Judy tied up, first of all, I, I, I love that we introduced Judy in here. I think I think she's like the perfect third flavor to have in this scene. Yeah, because um, she's still like symbiote and like she's she's she is that like callback kind of reminder <laughs> of what everybody else was like. It's an interesting choice to make Judy a victim here. She has certainly come across as as pretty creepy in previous scenes, and I, I think that it's uh, it's an interesting twist that she she ends up kind of being more one of the good guys, in as much as you know her her worldview can can have her be good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like the scene really really takes off once we start the group therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, group therapy is the climax. <laughs> uh, Aaron, I mean that whole that whole triangle just works really really well. 
I was like, you're wrong. Sammy's right. Her parents are like, that's or, or her parents were right. The world did end. You know, yeah. like that's that stuff is really great. Um, there's a lot of preamble that gets us there, and and I feel like the there's this whole chunk of this scene which is basically Aaron and Sammy just debating their perspective worldviews, and I feel like the thing which isn't working for me here is it feels a little bit unclear why exactly Aaron has brought her in here. It feels like he's in here to debate with her and which doesn't, that doesn't really scan and, and I'm, I'm, and that doesn't really align with his motivations. It, if he is bringing her in here to just keep her from stopping him, I don't necessarily, I feel like he would be off doing other stuff and, and they would be kind of trapped in here. Um, there was a hot second where I thought he was in here to make her repopulate the world with him, which was an extremely dark tone. Yeah, that's super fucked up. That's it's, what it is. It's, <laughs> it, it's super, it, it, it felt like it was going in a very, very fucked up direction for a second. Um, that's part of why I had, because in my mind, uh, Aaron has always been like asexual, like outside of all of that. Yeah. Uh, and so I tried to spell it out by him saying that he's celibate. And then they asked yeah. him if he's asexual, and he's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's celibate. Yeah, I yeah. mean... Uh, to answer that concern a little bit, there was, there's, I, I definitely share that concern that like, why does Aaron keep her there mm-hmm. instead of just like, whatever, setting her free? I think that, or killing her or something. Uh, I think that Aaron has a problem on his hands, which is there's someone who's trying to stop him from doing what he feels he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, there's no benefit to killing that person. Right. And he thinks maybe he can bring her over to the dark side. So he has a line here that's like a. I can bring humanity back. There happens to be one person who has a five-year head start on that plan. I know you had one idea for how to save humanity. Why not try mine instead? Uh, so this is kind of like the Darth Vader talking to Luke scene mm-hmm. in my mind. Right. Uh, or Emperor Palpatine. I always forget who actually tries to convince him to join the dark side. It was Darth Vader. They both do. They at, both do. at various points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, but that's like, those scenes very rarely work in a movie for me. Right. You know? it, it doesn't even really work in Jedi. Uh, I don't think all that well because it's like we know he's not going to do it. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Why would he do it? Um, but I think one one thing which could make that dynamic feel more concrete would be if Aaron initially thinks that Sammy is going to come to his side immediately. Like, mm-hmm. like if when he first kind of presents himself to Sammy and Greg, if if he's like, all right, Sammy, come on, let's let's go. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to hang out with this idiot anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm a better person than him. And uh, So the scene yeah. where they're in Greg's bedroom? Yeah, and, and if some of this, not necessarily this, these exact lines, but this conversation, if some of that happened earlier where Aaron was like, I, I, I have no reason to think you will have any, you won't help me with this, and then Sammy doesn't help him with this and he's like what the fuck <laughs> and, oh, i'm wounded and then if this scene was he's like okay but what's going on i don't get you yeah and 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 there you could even do an angle where he's like i brought in your therapist explain her to me why isn't she helping me and and it could be sort of an indignant like this isn't fair yeah i i there's zero reason why you shouldn't be on my side and you aren't on my side and explain yourself to me um and i think that sort of the beats that play out here and the, and the, ba- the debate that happens here would all work in that context. 
if it's if we because in that in that context we know exactly what Aaron is trying to get out of this, which right. is answers. Yeah. Versus where in in this version, it feels like he just kind of like has been dying to talk to, to somebody, <laughs> which which is a great trait for him, but I don't think it's enough to to uh, juice the whole system. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Huh. The yeah, my one note cool. is um. Be careful how long each person's dialogue sections are. Yeah, no, I, like, I definitely. I figure that'll it. get cleaned up, but it's yeah. like, like just looking at it, I'm like, fuck, everybody's monologizing. If that's a word. Monologuing. Monologuing. Monolothing. Cutting down one tree log at a time. Monologuing. Yeah. Misogynating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I felt like you're on the right track, but it, some of this, like especially in the beginning, the Aaron and Sammy debate stuff could be said in fewer words, but. Yeah. Um, I really like. Sort of, you 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 have had a number of moments throughout this screenplay where you've had sort of an anti-action scene, which uh, often when those come up in movies, they're sort of a bummer. Where it's like, look at him, he sucks, ha, he's trying to fight, but he can't. And uh, I think you've done a really good job of of not doing that and actually having an interesting thing to say in your anti-fight scenes. Um, I love that they like bust into the. Juice house, and they're like, "Where is he?" They're like, "In his office." <laughs> Sorry, we should have looked there. I, I feel bad. That's great. I think that. Yeah, that was really, really funny well. when they just harassed that worker. And it's the, it's the same person from uh, the the scene where Sammy comes yeah, over. I was gonna ask that because I was like, "There the can't name, be yeah. a one off character, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, no one offs. If I had, if I had put that character somewhere in Act One, then they would definitely have a name. But yeah. since they're only in Act Two so far, then they don't have a name. Um, I love the line, God, I missed violence. <laughs> it's great. Um, and the, so I, I think this would work with the, the, the notes that I gave before, but um, when I was reading this for the first time, sort of the dynamic of like when Aaron is keeping people captive versus when he isn't felt a little bit fuzzy to me. And I, and I think that the way it's supposed to go is by the time Greg and Miguel get there, it's too late and nobody is being held captive anymore. Judy is still being held captive. Is that just because he hasn't gotten around to untying her? So or... the, the implication was supposed to be that uh, Sammy had given up mm-hmm. and that's why Aaron untied her because like, well, you're not going to stop me and you can't, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to untie you. And, and uh, he was about to set her free when Greg and Miguel show up. Like, set her completely free. Like, all right, you can mm-hmm. go home now. Right. Um, and uh, but Judy's like, I haven't figured out what to do with this person yet because right. she's she has a symbiote. And then by the time that uh, Miguel dies, he's just like, well, I just kind of feel bad. Like yeah. they don't have they don't have any friends anymore, and yeah. uh, this symbiote lady can't really stop me at this point now. So um, I think that for me, and there there could be other ways for you to clarify this point, but it felt confusing for me for Sammy and Judy to ever not be released or tied up at the same time. Right. Having one but not the other felt a little bit muddy. Um, a solution to that might be he just lets Judy go when he lets Sammy go, and it's fine. He already did his thing, and they both know that it's not a, it's not a threat anymore. Another solution to that would be they're both tied up, and you just leave all of the dialogue exactly the same. Yeah. And and he just unties them both. Um, yeah, uh, I think I'd probably do that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I think I think that would 
that would just solve that confusion for me. Um, How did you feel about uh, the scene where they fight uh, women and <laughs> Miguel is okay with doing it and Greg isn't? I thought that was that was pretty on point. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. Like, um, I think that I think that if the there's there's a, a trope which has been slowly creeping into comedies in like the past like five years that I've seen. I mean, I'm sure there's there's earlier ones where it's like a, a character is is doing something which they would normally do is like normal movie behavior, which is to say sexist. Uh, and then at the last minute they're like, no, I'm not gonna do something sexist. And the joke is. Haha! They didn't do something sexist <laughs> yeah, like they yeah. normally would in a movie, um, and the this. I'm just trying to find. I want to actually find. Oh yeah, here we go. It's on page six. Um, uh, the line where he says, "You got to get over your internalized sexism, bro." Uh, clearly, even without the symbiote, I'm better adjusted than you. That line felt a little bit like it was swinging for that type of kind of bait and switch right. joke. Um, I, I don't really think that the joke works in that, be as that thing, because the implication would be, it's sexist not to hit women. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's, I was concerned with that, because uh, that whole scene, like, um, they, they need to fight these people. They, right. These people will not let them pass right. unless they fight them. Yeah. And, uh, and Greg just is, like, he has these very old school ideas of, like, what gender relations are and he won't bring himself to really fight right. because of that yeah. uh, Miguel is woke but also you know yeah. he uh, he is just well adjusted even without the symbiote the, the um, line clearly even without the symbiote I'm better adjusted than you is great and yeah. I and I, I feel like the thing which is tripping me up is, is the you have to get over your internalized sexism Yeah, I think a, a, maybe a better I think you could you could keep all of this the same like you, you can't just hit women they're trying to kill us. Besides, the future of the world is at stake. Yeah, but if you just change that to something like, um, like, man, you you are really in your own head, even yeah. in a high stakes, action packed situation. You know, obviously don't don't go on that Rick and Morty with it. But uh, <laughs> uh, if if it was if it was like, if the focus wasn't internalized sexism and it was like you, you could overthink. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, there is nothing that you won't overthink. Yeah, Greg. yeah. I think that would completely. Yeah. Uh, if if yeah. you make it not more about the violence than the sexism, because Greg is not trying to be sexist. He doesn't think of himself as sexist. Right. Yeah. And like, he he's just overthinking this particular situation. Right. It, exactly. And and it's and it's like, yeah. That's it's that's just a complicated argument about sexism to have in you know one two sentence line of dialogue. Yeah. But I think that the dynamics of what's happening in this scene are, are funny and work, which is Greg is being Greg. He's, like, <laughs> filled with doubt all the time. Yeah. Uh, That's why I, there was a line that I had in my head that I didn't write at any point, but it, it was almost the line where instead of saying you got to get over your internalized sexism, bro, uh, Miguel was going to say something like, equal rights means equal fights. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. <laughs> or, because it's a left hook that he hits her with, uh, equal rights means equal lefts. That's the other thing it could be. Both kind of, like, I don't think Miguel would say those things. Yeah. Uh, I think they're kind of funny, but, like, they're they're not something he would say in that they're, situation. They're objectively funny and, and also don't help the scene <laughs> yeah. or the characters. But uh, they're, they're both good jokes. Yeah. yeah. I wish I could say I came up with them. I saw them on some Reddit years ago. Oh, yeah. But still. That's fine. 
All right. Uh, any any closing thoughts uh, before we move on to Mr. Silas Man? Mr. Silas Man. Um, I did really enjoy Aaron being celibate. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's it's funny because like you're not directly saying he's an incel, but it's pretty clear he's an incel. No, he's a cell. There's a big difference. Bro, yo, 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 yeah. you're right, you're right. I'm sorry, a cell. Uh, yeah. But yeah, one of those guys where it's important. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Morrissey, basically, where it's like, what fucking, just either yeah. be a, just, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it's your choice, it is, but like, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought that, that that played out in a, in a fun way. Um, uh, there isn't much here that we haven't talked about, I don't think. Well, dandy. Yeah, good, good work. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to Act 3. Thanks, guys. All right, now it's the... The, the the man the myth the legend Mr. Silas Robinson. <laughs> um, okay, so I am not like not only am I not committed to this version of the outline that I sent you guys, I am pretty committed to changing stuff. Nice. Um, I've been doing the thing that I started doing writing this screenplay, which is trying to iterate very very quickly with. Uh, Fail uh, faster. Fail right. faster with, with my outlines. This is the fourth version of the outline that I've Shit. written. Shit. Um, it's very, very fast and super uh, sloppy in my notebook. Um, the, the things which, honestly, the thing I was worried about coming into this was just establishing all the things which I needed to establish, mm. which has not really been difficult at all. Um, I that, that sort of just kind of came together on its own, which is... is Nice, unless there's some huge thing which I'm forgetting. Um, the, the thing, <laughs> Peter's hand just <laughs> went up. We'll, we'll get, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, the thing which has been tricky is kind of getting Flora with the group in a way where she's active and uh, it, and it plays out as a an act one for her where she is crossing a threshold and. Mm -hmm. um, I had a much more complicated version of like what's going on behind the scenes with like actually getting them out to the pod and uh, every iteration that got stripped down mm -hmm. and it just got cut down more and more and more and more. Um, the thing which is which is I've been kind of stuck on is exactly what is Flora's relationship with Xavier and with Victoria mm -hmm. because the whole time I've been writing this, it's been off of this idea that Flora used to know Xavier many years ago and. Yeah he got successful and she didn't. And I think that's a really important dynamic to preserve. Um, but Victoria is her Obi-Wan. And in my head, Flora did, had, had never met Victoria before this. And it's like the Obi-Wan is definitely the most important relationship in the right. group between the hero and, and anyone else in the group. And I so just sort of either it, it kept, I kept writing in ways where it's like, Victoria should be doing all these things that Xavier is doing, or Flora should know Victoria, not Xavier. So it, I've been kind of getting closer to that and yeah. putting more and more emphasis on Flora. But uh, just a quick yeah. note on yeah. that, yeah. Uh, before we get into other stuff, maybe it's it's just like Star Wars where she doesn't know Victoria, but she knows who she is, kind of. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you're the studio head, or you're the right, old right. professor that that Xavier looked up to as his inspiration, or whatever, or. Right. You're like an old Orpheum maker that used to be a legend, but I've never seen you before. Yeah, th I, I think that's exactly the, the direction to go, and I, and I haven't quite found a scene to do that, but um, they're both career renderers, and Victoria, I, I kind of want 
it's fun to get to write these characters in real life. I've never done that before. <laughs> I think Victoria should be like maybe walk with a walker and be like really tremory and like be pretty visibly disabled because of all of her years of, of rendering and she spent too much time in the Orpheum and and that seems like a really good thing for those two characters to bond over. Um, I haven't quite found the time to do it, but yeah. I, I think that's exactly the direction to go in. Uh, so, Peter, what did I forget? <laughs> uh, so the, the big thing for me mm -hmm. is uh, th the worst possible version of doing this mm -hmm. would be to have like a three-minute, uh, like, what is or your introduction to Orpheum at the yeah. very beginning of the script, mm -hmm. uh, where it's, it's like... A, for some reason, the only version I can think of is in the movie Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler, uh -huh. where it's just like a thing like twins. Twins have a different relationship than everybody else. <laughs> twins are important, and these these two characters you're about to meet are twins. Yeah. Just so you know, they're twins. Don't forget that they're twins. Uh, and uh, it, like, obviously, don't condescend to your audience, but something uh, like along the lines of we we get a strong image of what Orpheum is before Flora goes out and buys some. Right. Um, just something to like, not be insulting, but also be, you know, informative. Informative. Yeah. You know? Well, I guess that that's an interesting question though, because she buys that Orpheum in the first scene that yeah. she's in. Yeah. And the the purpose of her going out and buying some Orpheum and then coming home and using it is to like it, like literally what it says in the outline is teach the audience everything that they will know about Orpheum for the whole movie. Right. Um, if not in the first scene, then when? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was just a, what we see here. I, I don't think... Um, did that show up in the actual... Uh, no, it's, it, it's, it's not it's in the... It's in, it's in, the, it's in the, the, the written out notes, not, okay. the, yeah, not the typed out notes. Okay, well, I think that's part of it, is just I, I didn't see that note, basically. Where, right. You know, um, yeah. yeah, it seems like that first scene with Flora, um, where she like goes out, she gets it, is an opportunity to have a lot of that information, like weaved into that not just from like dialogue and conversation but also like posters on the wall making having like warnings about the orpheum like the story you know like yeah um advertisements for it anything like that but i do like the fact that the dream she goes into and comes out of is shitty um because that sets it up for like the the big reveal at the beginning of the second act is going to be far more grandiose as a result of just right. like seeing the shitty beach um, and then seeing how i definitely want like when she goes into like this this factory that she works for I want to feel huge and I mean she literally lives in the factory like there's apartments in there for the workers oh and, she works for Foxconn yeah exactly <laughs> and it, I want it to feel very Foxconn-y and she goes into these warehouses and it's like thousands of people touching sand and shit <laughs> and, then, and then she goes into it and it sucks like it's so much work for something yeah. that is not that cool and people are bankrupting themselves to, to do it like, yeah you know. what if I think it's not necessarily just the Orpheum itself but like the world around it yeah. Like, if we saw, uh, there's, like, a scene where she goes down to the market or whatever, and there's some elite slumming it right. there, and we see, like, just the super rich people going, like, oh, I haven't been here since college. <laughs> right. And we see, like, that there's money to be made from Orpheum, or maybe it's, like, someone, some executive passes by her when she's going to the Orpheum mines, basically. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, shit, there's Steve Jobs, and then here's the Foxconn worker, you know? Gotcha. Um, um, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and I... I have so much world buildy stuff in my head, and I've I've been like, uh, don't write too many scenes, so Peter will make fun of you. Uh, if the screenplay's too long, Peter's gonna make fun of you. Um, we do no such thing. Uh, no, but that's that's uh, 
it's a very, very important note that people should uh, know exactly what this stuff is and, and how it affects the culture. And, and I, haven't, I, don't, I haven't quite thought of how to do this, but we, in the outline I sent you guys, we really only see flora as a consumer. And it definitely needs to be clear that, that this is Life. really, really big. It's super widespread. Everyone's doing it. I feel like the conversation she has with the cashier could be part of that, or like Here's how long the line yeah. is. Yeah. Here's an idea for you. Uh, maybe she, maybe like the cheap Orpheum you get at the bodega, mm -hmm. like has ads. It's like Hulu. Oh. And uh, she has to sit through an ad before she can get to the beach. That's a great idea. <laughs> uh, so it's it's like she's I'm I'm paying the seven ninety nine instead of the twelve ninety nine, but I got to sit through this garbage, you know. And and then, and then the ad is like. Are you or a family member struggling with orpheum addiction? Eh, skip, skip, skip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like it. Uh, I like that. Uh, Evan, you just sort of said this as an offhanded comment, but having a long line for the new stuff is an awesome idea. Yeah. That's a that's a great idea. Uh, that that tells so much story. Just and just having her like peer over and be like, "What is it? Like it's the new, it's the new, the new it's Willy yeah. Wonka's newest chocolate bar." <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the way I looked at this this outline was like, none of this is gonna make it into the actual screenplay. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> it's a little. It's a little. <laughs> no, I. I, I <laughs> Evan is. Can't wait for him to throw this shit out. It's Evan, fucking Evan, garbage. Evan is being uh, un annoyingly uh, uh, predictive of my past behavior. <laughs> um, um, yeah, no, it it's good though. Like, I, I feel like you're setting everything else right, setting everything up right, but it definitely does feel, at least a little rushed. I mean, you saw me write it. it I did. Certainly, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I was that. like. Um, but I feel like it, it it gets us there. So the the, I mean, so the, the big important stuff yeah. is Flora's sort of developing, establishing her character, and, and giving her sort of explaining what her internal conflict is here. Yeah. <clears throat> and as written, it's she the the the, the sort of theme stated moment is when that that her boss at the place says like if you were really talented you wouldn't be here right like, yeah you know she's she has this worldview where she values her own creativity and, and an authority figure is like we don't yeah <laughs> oh, um, <shit. laughs> uh, so succinct yeah um and then she she has she gets this opportunity but it's clear that she's really really poor and this is her taking a risk um the the the, the sort of my current version for what that little act one arc for her is, is like, it, it should feel like this amazing once in a lifetime opportunity when Xavier reaches out to her and it should feel devastating when he's like, Oh, I want you to render for me. Yeah. 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 Um, and the, those two beats I had for a while, the, the one which is brand new for this one is Xavier showing up in person and begging her. Yeah. And, and that felt like, I mean, nothing about the offer has changed. The only thing is that a famous person is humbling himself in front of her. Which is, which which is, is enough for... Because so I think what she, in a lot of ways, what she wants is validation. Right. And, and she's like, we went to school together. You're not better than me. I'm older than you. And having him go like, I really, really, it would, is, is, I mean, does, it's really a question, like, is that, is that enough to get her to quit her job and do this, like, sort of sketchy, illegal thing with these people she hasn't met? I think it is. I think uh, what would work be 
stress for me is if we saw, first of all, if it wasn't a call, if she goes out somewhere to go in person to meet with all these other people, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or, or maybe it's like a hollow call in the future. It, it was, it was going to be in Orpheum. Yeah. Oh, okay. No. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that works. But uh, if we see her, like, really prepping for, like, this is my break, I'm going to do everything, I'm going to, you know, maybe quit my job or something, or, like, put yeah. in my notice, or say, like, hey, I need a little time off, something like that to really sell that this is super important to her. Right. Uh, and then the thing with Xavier, like, begging her, if anything, I think that would put her off more if uh, if she was, like, I'm just going to be a renderer again. Right. You know? But it was just, like, why, why is this guy begging some fucking renderer, you know? Like, yeah. I'm just some random person. So maybe um, it could be something like, uh, she, like, what was if she comes on this journey and helps him, she might never have to work again. Maybe it's like he offers her points or something. Like, right. Uh, just, what, what do you want? What do you want to come work for me? Right. Like, he's not begging her, but he's just like, just, I really value your creativity. Right. Renderers are creative, too. Right. You know? Uh, so, and she could just say something as simple as, like, I want a little bit of control or yeah. something like that. Uh, the other the other thing which just popped into my head is is this defining uh, conflict for Xavier is he, he doesn't have enough time to write it and he doesn't know how yeah. it ends. What if he came to her and he was like, can you, he was like, I, I know we need a renderer and I know that you don't like doing that and I, and I, and I, I know that that sucks but like can you help me finish this mm-hmm. yeah. because I don't know how it ends and we literally need to go in 10 minutes and would that maybe be I, I think more... so like giving her more of a role in the creation of it um, will, will help her make that decision because what she's really looking for is an opportunity or some type of break and we have to have the situation seem like be presented as an opportunity or that break in her career. Right. And if she's just, you know, regardless of who's doing it, if she's still only going to be a renderer, then this is just going to make her a more famous renderer. Right, exactly. Um, so maybe, like, he offers her a title or a bump right, or something. Right, and Senior renderer. <laughs> maybe, uh, here's, this is a little prescriptive and maybe not we should do exactly, but it should help get you thinking about, like, possibilities for mm-hmm. how he convinces her. Um, maybe he just, like, lets out a secret. He's yeah. like, look, I, everyone thinks I'm fucking Guillermo del Toro but I I have a team I have writers I have extra people helping me do everything I'm not an auteur I'm right. just a fucking guy and I've been handed the opportunity of a lifetime and you're the only one who can help me right something like that yeah 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 cool yeah that that, that yeah that's a, that's a really nice note and, and it'd be cool if she had like some type of resistance where it's like why me I never finished anything why are you looking up to me like I can help you finish it that kind of thing right and, and I love I'm obsessed with this but I love uh, in in my I, I I sort of reductively call them like older brother younger brother dynamics where like when you grow up in a family everyone knows who's the older one and who's the younger one mm-hmm. but then when you get out into life you meet people and you make friends and contacts and I think everyone kind of has a running tally of who is the older and younger mm-hmm. in the relationship they're in and it does not always line up yeah. <laughs> like I've you know I've had lots of times where both people believed they were the younger. And it's like, why, why is he treating me like this way? <laughs> and I, if, if that scene could scan as she understandably has been thinking of him as this, like, and he comes up and he's like, can you please help me? Like, you always used to help me. Mm-hmm. Why did you stop helping me? And it's like, yeah. oh, right. He's, he still thinks of me as the older, bigger. Yeah. Because when we met, I was 23 and he was 18. Yeah. And, yeah. and in his brain, I'm still a senior and he's still a freshman, even though he's a successful 
Well, cool. Uh, yeah. I think I covered everything I wanted to talk about pretty much. Did you have any other questions or concerns, Evan, Silas? No, man. I feel like uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, asshole comment aside, I am excited to see the way it changes. <laughs> no, no, no. I- I'm excited to see how it changes from this, too. Like, yeah. Like, it, it, always, it always seems like you, you, you start in a good place and end in a better one. You know? Okay, well, thank you. So it, I feel like this is you're on the right track for sure. The the one, the thing which I'll I guess mention is like and and this is this is how it this is how it works when you write it this way. Um, it's it's helpful for me and and also why most people don't do this. As soon as I started writing, uh, as soon as I started like outlining this, immediately changes that I wanted to make to the rest of the screenplay. Right. Um, yeah. uh, not big structural ones, but like little, just like ways that the different scenes could play better. Callbacks and references kind of Callbacks thing. and references. Like one thing I thought was like, like, would it be cool if the characters just knew way less about what this was going to be when they went in? Like, like I wrote it where they've like had meetings and they've prepped and they have safe words and it was like, like Joaquin doesn't even know what's about to happen. He doesn't even know the concept. Like it's an Orpheum place where you can just make it up and it happens. And then like that's a surprise. It's like, oh, that might be really fun. And yeah, yeah. And then obviously like yeah, you could yeah. you could even like tier it, um, like varying degrees of ignorance mm-hmm. in, in the team, so that like some were more surprised than others by what's coming. Yeah. And that I would make the the big reveal a little more interesting too. Right. Um, yeah. Like if 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 the way that. Yvonne's machine was discussed in Act 1 was like, he invented a thing that's gonna make it easier. And we think we can make a lot of money on it. And it works with rats so we need so a far. lot of Orpheum. Yeah. And then it's like, and then they actually go into it and it's like, an ocean! And it's like, oh my god! Oh <laughs> shit! Um, yeah, and, and like, like, now that the whole thing is sort of for the very first time laid out there's thematic stuff and setting up stuff that i want to tighten mm-hmm. that was you know but that's that'll be that'll be that'll be fun draft two stuff fun draft two stuff. Fun draft Sick. stuff cool thank you guys i, I appreciate those are those are very helpful notes all right uh, uh goals for next week what do you guys want to want to do i want to get my second act finished get everything that i have outlined written get that seizure get that seizure <laughs> Not an actual seizure, mind you. A seizure that happens in the plot of the story. A fictional seizure. Yeah. Peter, I imagine you you want to break off about ten pages. Probably about ten pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that's solid about ten every time. How how many pages are you envisioning for your your third act? So right now the whole screenplay is seventy eight pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the third act will probably bring it up to about one hundred five. One hundred five. So like okay. around twenty five to thirty pages, probably around the bottom end of that. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I would love to be under one thirty <laughs> for, for the for the finish the finish thing and and when I when I go through and I like stuff is going to get smaller not bigger when I I do another draft but it's probably gonna be probably so gonna be are you are you gunning for pages again or are you gonna I'm not really gunning for pages honestly because we we have we've got a good number of weeks left. To, to get to our... We have four. Four weeks. We have four weeks left. One full calendar month. And I I am really excited to start doing pages, but I feel like 
I feel like it's going to be better if I spend more time getting an outline that I feel really, really comfortable with. Like, that like, makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially if you think you can still hit the deadline while still doing that. Like, yeah. I mean, two weeks is a lot of time to write. But you can actually. also, you, you're one of the rare people that can pull 37 pages out of it, but... <laughs> You know. That's that was that was a that was a high. That was I can't teeth. It was tough. I can't count on that happening. Yeah, um, but still, and, I mean, and if I write thirty-seven pages, I have fucked up in a big. <laughs> that is too long. That is, that is more Act One than anyone has ever wanted. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, so I think I'm. I'm if if I get a, a couple pages, it may it would be like a scene or two. Okay. But really, I just I just want to keep doing versions of the of the outline until I feel really, really good about it. That makes sense. Sounds I mean, good. It, it makes sense, especially considering how you've done the write 15 pages, destroy 15 pages, mm-hmm. you know, having to do that a lot. It just makes sense to, like, take yeah. a second, not rush. Yeah. Get there. Yep. Cool. All right. Good, All right. good podcast. What if but goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>